Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here for another episode of Exponential Wisdom. And Peter Diamandis, my partner, you know, my greatest technological scout that I know of in my entire lifetime, we encountered each other at a Joe Polish conference in New York, and one thing led to another, and Peter was interested in joining Strategic Coach, and then a couple of months in, I get an email that he's doing videos with Ray Kurzweil in Mountain View, California, at the Singularity headquarters in Moffett Field, and he said, we're going to shoot a whole series of videos, and it was suggested it'd be great if we have an audience, and would you be interested in coming, and would any strategic coach entrepreneurs? And I said, we'll certainly come, and there was a price to it, and we were happy with that. And I think we had 35 coach people came to fill a room. I don't know how big the room was, but I know we had 35. And it was the start of a partnership. The start of a beautiful relationship, Dan. And I've been a coach member for a little over a decade. Yeah, that amount of time. Yeah, and it was interesting, right? Because out of that session, which really is the first year that we're calling Abundance 360, back in 2012, you said, I love this program, and if you want to do this again, I'll be your partner in bringing individuals from Coach in. And I was like, that's great. And uh, we're now entering our 10th year of doing this, you know, mm -hmm. the first quarter of every year, where we focus on what are all the exponential technologies, computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic biology, AR, VR, blockchain, how they're changing the world. And how, I remember you said to me, Peter, do you know most people are afraid of the future and you're not? And I was like, that's interesting. I never thought about that. And why aren't you afraid of it? Because, you know, when you have a good sense of where things are going, you anticipate and you plan and you get excited about new opportunities. And we formed a, a beautiful uh, friendship and, uh, you know, sort of uh, partnership slash marriage. I want to compete with Babs, but... Uh, it's been beautiful. Mm -hmm. And thank you for that. Well, Peter, if we look at, I remember we were months before we did the first official, you know, where we were advertising it as Abundance 360. But I think the first meeting, you know, at Moffett Field was great. It was a wonderful two days, two and a half days for us. Mm -hmm. But if we look back, uh, so this is 2011, 12, and then the January of 13, in Marina del Rey, we actually did it, and we had about 110, if I remember, 110, 150. I don't, I don't know what the numbers were looking back. And, you know, the way we created content, I said, you know, Peter, the best thing to do is just make the content of the program everything that you're fascinated with, everything that you're excited about. The best piece of advice I've gotten, Dan, I mean, you're a font of wisdom which is why coach is so successful and you're such a, a great coach yourself. But you said, when I said, what should you think I should focus on? He says, whatever you're excited about. And that has been a guidepost. And, you know, someone said, you know, if you're the host of a party, if you're having a good time, everybody else have a good time. Maybe that was you. Emily Post, said, Emily the great, Post okay. <laughs> expert on etiquette. She had a 500 page book on etiquette. And on the last page, she said, if you can't, you know, remember any of the first 500 pages, here's a rule. If you're going to have a great party, make sure the host has a good time. 
And we started with that, that the host was going to have a good time. And then, and I think it's truly mind shifting. I think it's transformative. I think people have reconfigured their futures. You've attracted a lot of them as partners, investor partners in many, many different ventures, both at Bold Ventures and also at XPRIZE. And now with your marvelous, marvelous regenerative medicine, longevity, the platinum longevity trip, Mm. you know, I think you're going to get more. You know, I think I was lucky enough, Babs was lucky enough to come last August to Boston, New York, and it's fundamentally changed, which was a very, very optimistic view of the future. I'm an optimist, and I've always been very positive about the future. But it was in the area of, I hope this happens. You know, in other words, I I would say, you know, I really want to have a lifetime that's longer than normal, and I want to have a lifetime that's healthy and energetic. Yeah, I came up with a line death is going to take me by surprise and not by invitation. (laughs) (laughs) And I think in some ways, without us realizing that it was a common ground for the two of us, the attitude toward longevity. It was. We both achieved that mindset and that objective independent of each other. And we've very successfully reinforced each other. And I think brought other people along on the ride. You know, as I reflect that this is the tenure of A360, there was another pivotal moment. So you were there at the inception, supported the event at SU in 2012, and then said, let's do this as an annual program. And in fact, you, Babs, and I over breakfast, I think, came up with the name Abundance 360. Yeah, we were in Philadelphia, actually. We were in Philadelphia. I got you into a speaking engagement, which I still feel guilty about. <laughs> I remember that. It was the worst ever <laughs> thing I could have done to you. But we got time together. That was the valuable thing. But the breakfast afterwards, we came up with the name. Wow. Yeah. And that's always important. That, that is. And then there was another moment in time where, I don't know, some six months later, again, we're back at Strategic Coach. And you whispered in my ear as I was about to go up on stage to talk about Abundance 360. You said, actually, you say it. What did you tell me back then? Again, it was at a Joe Polish event at Genius Network. I'm sorry, Genius Network. That's right. Yeah, Genius Network. I think it was in, could have been New York or California. I don't, I don't really remember where it was. You were just going up and I, I said, Peter, tell him you're going to do it for 25 years. And then then you were up on stage, you know, and boy, you really impressed me. I said, boy, talk about a fast learner. And I literally was rising from my chair when you whispered that in my ear. And it clicked in my mind as like, yeah, that is the right thing to do. I should commit to this for the long term because it's going to add value to me, value to them. And so I went up there and I was like, you know, with passion, commitment, and I'm committing to doing this for 25 and I'll be running this for 25 years. I think it did surprise you a little bit that I, you know, sort of Oh, no, it was like, you know, you had told me that you were going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's a useful topic in terms of exponentials to talk about thinking in terms of 25 years, because it's hard to track exponentials on an annual basis. You got to see what the impact is. You know, exponential technology, to use one example, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence is going to impact everything that moves on the planet. 
just like the microchip did back in the early 1970s. What got me interested in technology was this, you know, a series of articles, 73, 74, talking about what had been called an integrated circuit, or they had different names for it. The microchip. Microchip came up, and I, I got real interested, started cutting articles out of the New York Times and other publications. And the two things they said about it, Peter, have been totally true. Uh, the one is that this is the first invention that will impact all previous inventions. Number two, it's an invention that can be applied to itself and can actually make its own exponential present into a much bigger exponential future. And the third one, I'm just thinking of a third one here, is that largely speaking, this will disadvantage large organizations and will make possible all sorts of new smaller organizations. And I think that all three of those have been very true. You know, that is true. And the the addition of a time frame of 25 years was interesting for another. And I, I think about this now in every organization I start, which is, you know, is this something that is important enough to me that I'm willing to commit for it for that long a period of time? You know, being at the, you know, just just almost near the halfway point, it's like, yeah, this has been fantastic. It becomes a, gives a structure to my life. But of course, we have all talked about the singularity, Ray Kurzweil's terminology, and Ray's new book, I've just seen the preprint of it, The Singularity is Nearer, that is an update from that 2006 book. You know, he projects the singularity is circa somewhere in the 2040 to 2045 timeframe. The singularity is a moment in time where the, the speed of change is so fast that it's impossible to predict what comes next. It's a blur. And one thing, Dan, I do getting ready for A360 every year, which normally is in January. We've moved it now to the end of April, April 19th through the 22nd of 2022, is I look at all of the breakthroughs in the last 12 months. And I look at it by industry, by technology, and the speed is staggering. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely staggering almost to the point where I have no capacity to, you know, I can literally fill all the breakthroughs from just the last 30 days, let alone the last 12 months. And so I can't imagine what it's going to be like in, you know, 2035 or 2038. Mm -hmm. So the 25-year period takes us through 2038, and it's going to be quite an A360 in 2038. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'll be in my 90s by then. 2044, I'm 100, so 38, I'll be 94. And the way I'm looking at it, and this is where I have to put out you know, kudos to you, because I came up with a thinking exercise in 87, 1987 for myself, and I was just projecting lifetime, and it was a whimsical thing that I wanted to live a complete century, and I had been shortchanged a little bit on the 20th century, so I only got 56 years of the 20th century you know, by my birth. So I said, I'll just add another century on it. I said, look, I'm just going to talk to myself about this for five years, and if at the end of five years this has become a normal thought, then I'll share it <laughs> with other people. And it didn't take that long. Actually, it took about a year that every time I thought about my lifetime, I said the number 156. And it was about two years 
that that became the normal reference. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I notice is when that thought changed from, let's say, an expectation of 80 years old, now mine was 85, you know, because family history and pretty good genes. I noticed that in some way, every thought that people have is actually tied to their expectation of when they're going to die. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that if they get within about 15 years of the number that represents their death date, they don't start anything new. Yeah. They don't make new friends. They don't make new investments. They don't learn new things. There's nothing that they really want to see that they haven't seen before. And my sense is that general message that I'm going to not do anything new actually is communicated throughout the cells of their body, not just all the thoughts in their head. It's communicated, and they've literally talked themselves into the grave. I believe it. I mean, I think you can will yourself to live and will yourself to die. We see that in so many human examples. And mind over physiology is extraordinary, including in epigenetics. So it's interesting, right? Because I was in medical school in 1987, and that was the same exact period when I set my sort of extreme longevity target. It's been incredible. I think about what causes you to have a longevity potential. One of it is mindset. And what impacts mindset is who you hang out with, mm-hmm. what you read, you know, your expectations. All of those things are critical. Yeah. And just to follow a little bit further on my use of this thought, I brought it into Strategic Coach. And since October of 93, everybody who's entered Coach, the first hour, they determine whether the thought that they have in their mind when they're going to die is actually going to be the age at which they die. And everybody that, to my knowledge, certainly everyone that I've coached has changed the number. And in many cases, the first time that they had the number. But my belief is that everybody's got the number and they get it from what's expected in their family and actuarial tables and what they hear on television and everything. And, you know, I think for most people, it's 80s something when you talk to them. And one of the things that was really interesting, Peter, we actually looked at the people who were in a room, say, I have a group of 50, they start, they go through the exercise. And then that's one workshop. And in the old system, we would see them again 90 days. Now we see them much more frequently, but we saw them 90 days. And I told my team, you should do a little survey on the quiet and ask people how much weight they lost in the first 90 days. And it was always equal to two or three of them. You know, in other words, there were three human beings in body weight missing (laughs) 90 days later. And you know why? Because a part of their brain said, you know, if I want to live these extra 10 or 15 years, I've got to start eating better. I've got to start exercising better, you know. And a lot of them, it's the first time in years that they've gotten a physical checkup. I'm amazed the number of people. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's interesting, right? We're connecting mindset of you at your age expectancy, your lifespan, your health span, and mindset around the 25-year commitment I made to Abundance 360, right? So 
if I'm committing to 25 years of an event, I care about it, I'm trying to build it, I'm making the team, I'm getting the processes in place. And this is for any entrepreneur building a company. If you're building a company for a quick shot that you want to like build and sell, you think about it very differently than if you're building a company that is your legacy for the long term. And the same thing, if you're just at, you know, a quick shot for the rest of your, you know, tenure of your life, and then it's over, very different than, you know, I've got another 50 or century ahead. Yeah. Mindset. Yeah. The comparison I'd like to make is the success with mindset that we were having in the 90s. And everybody loves it. As a matter of fact, we do surveys every three years on what has been the most meaningful and impactful concept or thinking tool that you've had in Strategic Coach. And I would say this has been done five times in the last 25 years, five times we've done it. And the two that always come out near the top, one is called The Gap in the Gain, which is a best-selling book right now. You know, we've just put it out in the marketplace with Ben Hardy and Tucker Max and Hay House. But the other one is The Lifetime Extender. And the interesting thing is not only did the entrepreneurs do it for themselves, they did it for their spouse. Mm. They did it for their children. They did it for their team members. They did it for their clients. Okay. And it was really funny because we've had a lot of conversations about the current political environment, you know, that's going on in the United States. You know, people say, I can't even go to parties anymore because you you bring up a topic and, you know, people go bonkers with it. And I said, you know, I've come up with a really good way of dealing with that. I said, one of the things I do when I meet someone, and, you know, I don't know where they stand politically. I said, can I ask you a question? At what age are you going to die? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you laugh. And the person said, what do you mean? Well, I said, it's really funny because I've been doing this survey for more than 25 years on the number that people have in their mind about when they're going to die. And whenever I ask them, they have the number, even though they say, you know, you don't know when you're going to die. And I said, I haven't met anyone yet who died. When I asked them the question, they didn't know when they were going to die. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just go through the question and answer. And pretty soon, there's a whole crowd gathered around. Hey, come over here. You got to listen to this. So I said, don't talk about the political stuff. You know, they won't even remember what they were talking about. Everybody will remember this party. Everybody will remember this discussion. And I want to ask you, is that one of the reasons why regenerative medicine is going to be the number one industry in the world? Because this is a topic that every human being in the world is intensely interested in. I've done some detailed research, and I haven't found in the you know, nine, 10 billion people who've been on the planet, I haven't found one person that's been able to take their wealth with them. Not one. It's amazing. It's incredible. So they all leave it behind. And so the question I always ask, and I've had lots of conversations with multiple DECA and CENTA billionaires on this, you know, how much would you pay for an extra 20 or 30 years of healthy life? And in the day, you know, if they're honest, they'll pay anything for it. So it is the biggest business opportunity on the planet, right? So here's another stat that came from London School of Business, Harvard and Oxford, that adding just one year of additional healthy lifespan on the global population is worth $38 trillion. Mm -hmm. 
you know, one of the biggest benefits you can offer humanity is going to be to give them additional health. And I think about this. Yeah, I thought about that because you quoted that figure in New York. And I said, well, there's two reasons for that. If they're healthy, then they don't have the costs that are associated with disease. But on the other hand, they're probably creative and productive because they're healthy. So there's a boom that comes from the creativity part of it and the costs are reduced. This is coming. You know, I feel in the same way that the planet got electrified, you know, I feel that this is happening. In this year alone, because I'm tracking this because I'm getting ready for, you know, every year at A360, we have a longevity mindset module for half the day. I bring in top thinkers and leaders in age reversal, longevity, and so forth. And I also give a an update on what's happened in the last year. And this year alone, I'm tracking many tens of billions of new dollars flowing into the longevity space, right? So a friend of mine, Mahmoud Khan, takes on the role of CEO of Hevolution in Saudi Arabia. This is a massive fund. You met him at the- No, I met him. Yeah, he was very impressive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Emirates funding Hevolution as a nonprofit foundation to push forward age reversal longevity. Then you've got Jeff Bezos and a number of other billionaires together funding a company in the Silicon Valley. Then you had the co-founder of Coinbase put forward another multi-billion dollar startup in the longevity space. Mm. And then probably $20 billion of capital in venture funds. I mean, bold capital, two-thirds of our investments now are in the longevity age reversal space. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest markets out there. And so as more capital comes in, it's driving more moonshots, more breakthroughs. You know, it attracts talent too. I mean, wherever the money's flowing, that's where the talented technologists, scientists, doctors, but it's bigger than that because I was in Silicon Valley in 1962 because I had a brother who was in the Jesuit order in Los Gatos. Mm. My mother was there with me and two of my other brothers, and we visited with my brother. And in the same class, they do it by classes, was the then governor of California, Pat Brown, and his son, Jerry Brown, was a classmate of my brother, and we met him in Los Gatos. But we were traveling from San Francisco down to Los Gatos. It was just all orange groves, you know, I mean, it was basically orange country. And I was talking to someone about that. So this is a beautiful area. And he says, well, get a look at it now. He says it won't be in 25 years. And he was involved in technology. He says, this is going to be the hotspot of the world for uh, electronics. He just called it electronics. He didn't talk about microchips or anything like that. But he said, this is the hotbed for electronics. I had that same feeling when we were on the trip. Yeah, um, yeah. and you know, every year we, we alternate between the East Coast and the West Coast. This year, with you at Babs, we were in Boston, Cambridge, New Hampshire, New York, New Jersey. Uh, next year, we'll be in the Bay Area in San Diego. And it's accelerating the number of scientists entering the field, right? So David Sinclair and George Church are really the co-popes in my mind. They're two of the great thinkers and scientists, both at Harvard Medical School, both genomicists. I remember David saying, listen, it was heresy to talk about the idea of age reversal five years ago. Mm -hmm. Today, it's the hottest subject that every young scientist wants to get involved in. 
And overcoming that stigma is an important part of it. Well, here's an interesting point. And I went through a mind change on the trip because I've been, you know, pushing the longevity thing, how long you're going to live. But it's not really measurable in any practical way because you don't get a good measurement until you die. (laughs) Right. Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I have that challenge. So one of the things, Dan, you know, I'm working on is this $100 million age reversal exercise. Yeah. Well, age reversal is measurable. Yes. And so that's the reason. Yeah. You know, you can't prove longevity. Yeah. You can prove age reversal. I had a big event yesterday. It's super top secret. So no one listening to this podcast can mention it. Sworn to secrecy. Our primary sponsor, I won't say his name, just increased his commitment from $30 million to $51 million towards that prize. And we're going to make it a $101 million age reversal prize because he wants it to be larger than Elon's $100 million carbon removal prize. So we're almost there. Yeah, I believe in collaboration, but in some situations, competition is useful. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to add one more thing as I talk about. So I remember having a conversation with Elon probably about seven, eight years ago. He just started HLI. And he said something interesting. He said, I don't think people should live longer. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, you may change your mind when you're in your 60s or 70s. And I said, why? He said, well, you know, people need to die to make room for new ideas. So that's an interesting point of view. I don't agree with it. I think in a meritocracy, which data and a connected world can give us, that the best ideas can reach the top. But he was very clear that wants, you know, the new bucks to have room to surface. Well, it's an interesting point that was brought up, a very famous book, uh, History of Science by Thomas Kuhn, which was called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he said that all my study of, you know, when science would go along and then there would be a paradigm shift, and he's one of the popularizers of the word paradigm shift. He said, you get these jumps, and he says they're not predictable jumps in history. So he was asked a lot, you know, what is the source and what's the trigger for new ideas? And he says the funerals of older scientists is the biggest trigger. But that's within very bureaucratic structures where people have bureaucratic control over things. And Rudy Tanzi, Dr. Tanzi, that spoke to us in Boston, and I had the opportunity that evening to have him right next to me at dinner. and. He had told a story about two undergraduates from Harvard who just came up to him in the hallways, you know, and they said, we've got this idea and we wanted to talk to you about it. And he said, I'll tell you what, he says, I got an extra couple of seats in my lab. Why don't you come in? We'll give you a couple of seats and develop it a little further. And then when you're ready, tell it to me and then I'll get some of my team together and we'll talk about it. And then they went on and It's one of those great stories. By the way, that company, those two undergrads, the company is going public next week. Yeah. For multi-billion dollars. Yeah. Like, you know, four years later. So I asked him, were you in the habit of doing that? First, I asked him the first question. I said, it was a very interesting thing. Were you in the habit? I mean, here you are. You're world famous for the last 30 years. And this only happened. Dr. Kenzie, by the way, is a guy who... who discovered the first Alzheimer's genes. He's one of the world's leading thinkers in dementia, Alzheimer's, and other neurodegenerative diseases. Just brilliant. He'll be one of our keynote speakers at A360 because he gave the most hopeful oh, yeah. 
of the future for keeping your cognitive capacity through, you know, 120 plus. Yeah, yeah. So I said, the other thing is, was this sort of a pay forward for something that had happened to you that someone else said, <laughs> no, it was just a hunch. He said, you know, you size people up and I don't do it as a matter of practice and I don't want it to get out there that I do this as a matter of practice. <laughs> but he said, you know, you just say, I get a feel that there's something here. And I had a couple you know, empty seats in the lab and wasn't costing me anything. It was already paid for. And he says, who knows, you know? So the big thing is, I think a lot of that happens much more today than happened in the old days. Yes. Because there's a lot more players in this than in the old days, you know? And you can also measure, and it's the value of the engineering you do, the value of the science you discover. And we also have decent intellectual property protection rights and the cost used to be that it was extremely expensive to do the R&D and the science and the discovery. Only the multinationals and the large governments could do it. Now, you know, a kid in their garage can literally get access to what was only possible by governments 20 years ago. Artificial intelligence testing unit, yeah. We covered a lot on this one, Dan. We've gone from a 10-year anniversary of A360 to longevity of your vision, longevity of the individual to the, you know, regeneration revolution coming our way. Fun, yeah. fun conversation. One of the things, you know, when I propose the name for this would be exponential wisdom is because when you have something that moves really fast and things that appear suddenly and catch people by surprise, Oftentimes, there isn't a lot of wisdom about how that is responded to. And I was thinking it was interesting. It'd be, you know, maybe the topic for, but I followed the case with Elizabeth Holmes really quite quickly, especially the reporter from the Wall Street Journal, who was the person who broke the story. I mean, it was really John Kerry, who, you know, really a credible guy, and he's done a couple documentaries. And they asked him, what put you on to this, that this wasn't real? And he said, she never had more than version 1.0. Fascinating. Yeah. And he said, everything else that I've seen develop in this realm would have version 2.0, they'd have version 3.0, and they were still in clinical trials. You know, he said, there's kind of like a spectrum of credible, possible hype and fraud. Okay, and those levels are going up and down. And he says, right off the bat, there was an enormous amount of hype and the fraud part of it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he said, I just had a gut. You know, he says, I've done the stories on hundreds of tech entrepreneurs and tech. And although they're all different, they're all unique. There is a pattern on how these things get a foothold and how they get support and how they got momentum. And she was violating every one of them. Uh Yeah. Well, let's not end the podcast on that negative story. I mean, I do think end of the day. At the end of the day, what she envisioned will be there. It will be there, right? I know at Bold, we've just invested in a company out of Caltech that builds a microchip that you implant under your skin, it's got a 30-year lifetime, is going to be measuring a whole bunch of these things. So you don't have to go anywhere, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I'm super excited about with Fountain Life and some of the other companies is moving medicine out of the hospital, out of the doctor's office, into your home, where you're constantly being monitored and you're optimizing constantly your health. Listen, 
if you have to pick a time to be alive, when is now a great time to be alive? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're benefiting from it. I mean, it's not just that, you know, there were big technologies over the last couple, really 200 years where you see the big technological improvements, but now it's gotten down to the individual that these are transforming individuals. And I think for the first time in my lifetime, we will no longer have to depend upon the disease management system. We can now depend upon the actual health regeneration system. Amazing. Buddy, great catching up with you on this episode. Look forward to our next conversation. You bet. Take care.